Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Um, Today, I have the amazing opportunity to chat with somebody who's going to help me overcome one of the challenges I've got in front of me. If you're an internal or external change person, I genuinely believe that your own personal brand, your own approach to um, bringing people along with you is key. So today I get the opportunity to chat with Peter Brody. Peter is the sales coach for coaches and consultants. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the great pleasure of chatting with the sales coach for consultants and coaches. Hello there, Peter Brody. How are you? Hi, Lee. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Really good. Firstly, thanks very much for the opportunity to chat with you today. I've got a load of questions for you because it's a subject that intrigues me greatly and it's something that I need to do a lot better. Um, But before we get into all of that, (laughs) for those people that don't know who you are, who is Peter Brody and how has he got to become the sales coach for consultants and coaches? Oh, goodness, that sounds uh, quite grand when you say it like that. So I am, as I said, a sales coach for consultants and coaches, so I specifically specialise within that group. I work with uh, individual uh, consultants and coaches. They range from freelancers through to independent owners and perhaps directors of consultancies. And I also work with the large corporate consulting groups too. So there's a good mix and match within there. Uh, I believe that I'm the only sales coach that guarantees their outcomes. So the top level of service which I offer is that I guarantee to increase revenues by 40%. Uh, Can't offer that just now because of the COVID thing and we're all locked down, but that'll be coming back online soon. I'm also a, a fellow of the Institute of Sales Management uh, I write for Forbes magazine monthly on, on the website. So all my articles are in sales for coaches and consultants. Uh, and of course, I've recently written a book called Be Yourself Sales, which is all about selling. So in short, I'm the guy you call when you need or want more clients. Well, okay. So there's a few a few things there. So how did you, what's, what's your story? What's your story? How did you become the, the sales coach? And then, create a product that you're confident enough in to offer that 40% um, increase in performance? Um, so I spent, goodness knows, uh, most of my professional life, 25 years as a consultant myself. And I've been through all the roles. I started off as a junior, then senior, then principal. Then I was a freelancer myself too. Yeah. Uh, I then built up my own little consultancy. Then went from that to being the ops director and then eventually the managing partner of quite a large consultancy. So I've seen it all, but when I was the managing partner, uh, one of the big things we had to do was grow the company. The The company was doing well, but the, the sales pipeline was uh, dry, not dry, stale. Stale is probably a better word. So I looked around and me being me, I decided to really study sales. So I went out and bought 40 or 50 books, read one a week, actually more than one a week, uh, and really studied it. Uh, and then I came across a guy called Michael Port, who's a real big expert in the US. Uh, so I called him up, said, Michael, I like what you do. I'm jumping on a flight and uh, you're going to teach me what you do. So I jumped on a flight, went to LA. Uh, we spent a good couple of weeks, months together. And then every week, Backwards and forwards through the uh, um, video calls. And it got to a point where he said, Right, you can do this by yourself. You don't need my help. So I, I took Michael's stuff and I started to really develop it specifically for coaches and consultants and, and add things on. Yeah. Uh, then I got to a point. Sorry, got, so then I got to a point. I thought, Right, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to coach people. And my first client, paid, I think it's about 5,000, and we 
got him a twelve million pound contract. Wow! Uh, <laughs> so it's a decent return on investment. And then everyone I've done from there, uh, we've at least doubled, quadrupled the the revenue. So when I say forty percent, I'm usually downplaying it. That's why I'm, I'm pretty damn confident that I can guarantee the forty percent. And it's a it's a straight no quibble. I give you my fees back if you don't get there. Wow. Okay. So, question for you then: Why, why, yeah. why did you pivot? Why did you spend so much time in consulting, um, yeah. and then doing what you did, and then pivoted into being the sales guy for the person that you were? What's what was the reason behind so, that? Two parts to that. Um, the first part is that I became really ill. Uh, I got something called a Hashimoto's disease, which basically means that my, I've got no thyroid gland left. So that went, uh, I didn't know it had went, and I ended up in a coma. Oh, wow. And it really knocked me out. It took me about two or three years to come back round again. So I'm, I, for six months, I sat in the chair and didn't move. Um, so when I eventually started getting my health back and thinking about what I could do, I, I knew the days of me doing four o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night and traveling hundreds of miles as a consultant just wasn't on anymore. Yeah. So I looked back and I said, right, well, I'm not doing that again. It gives you a different view point on life. Uh, and uh, I said, well, what was the most frustrating thing about what I did? And it was selling how, how people, how, how consultants so often get sent out to sell and they don't know how. And then they get a phone call from their boss half an hour after the sales conversation saying, did you get the job? And that's that's not how you sell consulting. Consulting isn't like selling a product. It's more about how do you build yourself up to be a, a trusted advisor? And that's a, a completely different approach. Yeah. So I guess the question is then, how do you sell consulting? What's the secret? <laughs> Uh, it's all about trust and timing. That's uh, that's the two things of it, trust and timing. So you need to work carefully to build your credibility. You need to build a brand so it's very clear uh, who you are, who you serve, what you do, what's the benefits. And then there's some things you need to do in terms of constructing credibility. So there's so many... Uh, freelance consultants out there that still have dodgy email addresses, not Bob and Sally at yahoo.com. Yeah. Or, and you think, well, and it's just other standard credibility builders you need to have in place. Yeah. Then you need to go to position your pricing so you've got a really good return on investment because no matter what a client might say, they always want a good return on investment. Even if a client says this, uh, this assignment's all about uh, employee engagement, that's fine. But there's a reason behind bully engagement, and usually the finance director wants to see that uh, payback. Yeah. Um, so it's all about building that point where you, you apply some of your self-promotion approaches to build trust. It's not to sell. So what I tell all my clients is 80% of your materials that you send out, your marketing materials, is all to add value to your potential clients. It's all about them. So tell them how you can help them in terms of tools or techniques or approaches uh, and don't sell. And only 20% of your materials should have a sales message within it. So you want to be doing four or five pieces of helpful, valuable, interesting information. And then perhaps every fourth or fifth, that's when you drop and see. That might sound a bit bit kind of counterintuitive, but you can't sell consulting. All you can do is be there when they need you. And if you're building trust and credibility, when the time's right for them, they'll raise their hand and say, I need your help. So it's all about trust and timing. Got you, got you. So, just a question. I've got a few questions then on building that credibility. And if it's only if it's only twenty percent of, so if you said in eighty percent of it you're offering um, tools and techniques, is that not a form of selling? Is or is it is it a way that is just kind of you you've got this problem? Have you tried this? 
but then there's no call to action at the bottom of it. What is it? What is it that turns? Because I've seen a lot of people make a lot, a lot of mistakes like this, and they'll they'll offer value, yeah. and then the bottom line is, if you need help with this, give me a bell. So it turns yeah. a, a value piece of content into a selling piece of content. Are you saying that people shouldn't do that? So there. So we call this content marketing. And basically, you're demonstrating that you are an expert in your chosen field. Uh, and you do that through articles, videos, podcasts, uh, and, and so forth. Yeah. And it should be devoid of any sales message at all. So this is purely what information do my clients need and want at this moment in time? Yeah, and that's what you provide them with. And you want to provide almost too much to the point you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, thinking, "Right, okay, I'm, I'm giving away my, the secret sauce." Yeah, um, and it doesn't matter how much you, doesn't matter how much you give away because they still will need someone's help. Um, and then that sales message should be again gentle, but just to say, "This is what I do," and you might have this problem. This is a service that can help you fix that problem. Or you might have this ambition. Here's a service which can can help that ambition. Uh, you do need to sell. You obviously need to get clients. But um, now I read somewhere, and I think I put it in the book, that if you take your target market, about 60% of them feel that they don't need help and don't uh, don't feel they have, they, they've got a problem. About something like 30% of them think they've got a problem but don't want help and only 10 to 20 percent of them know they've got a problem and know they need help so if you take that as your rough split then when you're marketing around about 70 percent of the people don't want a sales message because they either believe they don't have a problem or they don't want your help yeah it's only that small percentage that do so if you're bombarding them with sales messages you're very quickly going to get put into spam or you're going to get disconnected or whatever. So it's really important that you're building that uh, trusting credibility up through displaying your knowledge and expertise. And then when they move from the, the 60% into that 10%, that's when they know, okay, I need, let's say, a, a, a lean consultant. Oh, I know a guy who's been, or girl, he's been, uh, or she's been tending this uh, information. I'll, I'll reach out and contact them. So it's all about creating a pool rather than you pushing a sales message. Got you, got you. So it's it's kind of like so I'm I'm not hungry all of all of the day, um, no. but at certain times of that day I am hungry, and when I'm hungry, I you've got to have resonated enough with when I'm not hungry to know what food I want in my head, uh, what food I want. Kind of sort of like what am I trying to say? Yeah. So it's like yeah. at, at the time when the client is hungry. That's when so they're not going to go onto Google and they're going to they're not going to open it up in a page and go type in lean consultant, are they? They're going to to then go actually. Um, uh, Bob has been posting content regularly about this thing that now I'm hungry for. Is that is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, and, and also another big source is referrals. So if that person doesn't know uh, anyone, yeah. they might talk to someone who does. And that person might have been receiving your, your uh, monthly or weekly newsletter or, or articles. So it's all about just making the world know who you are, what you do, and what's your expertise in a way that... Uh, so I use a thing called VITAL, V-I-T-L, which is valuable, individualized, timely, and legitimate. And if your message follows these four things, then people will welcome whatever you're sending them. So valuable in terms of it's going to give them something new, something novel, add some new uh, knowledge to them. Individualized means that it's specific for them. So it's not it's not going to be how to improve you know, a production line in the aerospace if the person runs a, a, a waterworks. Yeah. Uh, and then it needs to be targeted. So if it's individualized and and and. Uh, um, valuable, then it probably will be targeted. And if it's targeted, then it probably will be legitimate. So you need to ask yourself these questions. Why, why am I sending out this information? And of course, posting on LinkedIn it is not building relationships. Posting on LinkedIn is just uh, 
making people aware of who you are rather than making people aware of what you can do. So LinkedIn's a whole other subject, really. Yeah, okay. So how do you how do you take somebody from a work? So you've mentioned um, newsletters and emails. How do you go from making somebody aware of what you're doing to be aware enough to join your email marketing list? So there, you need to build up your presence, really. So there is LinkedIn. Uh, I, I am a regular contributor for Forbes, so a lot of people read that. So I've got, I don't know, about 9,000 connections on LinkedIn, but yeah. well, there's 19 million readers for Forbes. So I get an awful yeah. lot more people read Forbes. Yeah. Um, so again, it's, it's making yourself uh, presence felt, but in a targeted way. And the key thing, everyone has heard the term target market. Everyone advises their clients to have a target market. But every every flaming consultant wants to not be tied down to a target market. They think, I, I do lean, for example, yeah. and lean can be applied anywhere. Therefore, I want to work everywhere. I think, well, no, <laughs> because your marketing is going to get so watered down. Yeah. You're going to be one of the many. Uh, so you're going to charge a, a relatively low dairy, or that's all you're going to attract. So you need to focus and specialise and, and have a specialism. If you've got that, then people will pay an awful lot more money for you because what do clients want? Do they want an expert who is dedicated to their sector and serving people just like them? Or do they want a generalist who will work with anyone with a checkbook and pen? And they will pick the specialist every single time and be willing to pay a, a, a premium for it. So if you decide you've got a target market, you need to focus your, your message and your information on them. And very quickly, you become recognized. And another important thing with the target market is they've got their own networks. So although you're, you're marketing to two or three people, they will start talking about you to other pe people. And that's the whole concept of the target marketing. Got you. Got you. How small is too small, or how big is too big when you when you're looking at a market for for a consultant or a coach? Consultant or coach needs somewhere between five and twenty clients. So yeah. you you don't need to market to hundreds of thousands of people. Again, that's the target market it needs to be focused. So what I tell people is that there's something called the network of eighty, and that's. 80 people in your network who you already know and want to build deeper relationships with. And most of them, maybe 60% should be potential clients and 40% are other colleagues who offer complimentary services. Around 20 people should have another list of 20. And these are people you don't know, but would like to know. And then you've got a group of five or ten people who are your referral partners. So you give them referrals, they give you referrals. Um, and having that mix of 100 people, 110 people, is enough, more than enough, to keep your pipeline full and keep you busy. Uh, so what I tell people is make sure they're in the target market, then contact four people from your network of 80, every day so four people a day and then you'll you you'll have 20 days per week that's your 80 people per month yeah contact one person from your list of 20 20 people you don't know but would like to know one a day and then give or receive a referral once a fortnight and if you do that if you keep that kind of steady beat then it only takes 15 20 minutes a day but my goodness it makes a difference and it makes the conversation so much easier because you've already established that trust and credibility. So when that person reaches out to you to get uh, to have that conversation, it is a genuine conversation. It, you're not having to sell to that person because you've already established you're an expert. Uh, and you're, you're three steps at everyone else that they're talking to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I really like that because the challenge that I've come across a few times is is I've got quite a large uh, LinkedIn um, network. I've got a number of subscribers to this podcast, but yeah. it's all. No, I've, it's I've one, done the same. It's one where, way, isn't it? Well, 
So again, a, a recently my last article on, on Forbes talks about that. So the thing with LinkedIn is that you need to think of it. Well, how would I react to and say if this was face to face? And if you imagine going to a networking event, a physical networking event, and it's full of a hundred people, and they're all shouting how great they are. What about the new office? What a new contract they won? What a great job they did in the previous con? And nobody was listening. Yeah. Then you probably wouldn't go back to that networking event. And that's what's happening in LinkedIn an awful lot. And what you've got to be able to do is listen and then respond to that in a, in a genuine but thoughtful way. So there's an awful lot of people who are posting on LinkedIn, but not actually listening or interacting. And that's where the trust and credibility is built. Uh, and that's where you show you're not what you're talking about. And again, coming back to the 80-20 the for sales message, none, none of your comments on LinkedIn when you respond to someone else's post should be a, have any kind of sales message. It's there to help people. It's not there to well, call me and, I, and I'll give you this and this. It's more about... Have you tried this? And it's not about trying to sell your services. Yeah. Okay. No, it's good. A lot, really, really clear. And that's something that I need to I need to get a lot better at um, personally because I think a lot of my content is very much one way, and the relationships I need to build are more, have got to be more personal ones. Um, what are the what are exactly. the, so just on oh, that point? Oh, sorry. Just, just on that point. Sorry. Um, so I had the same. I, I've got. I don't know, thousands of, of connections. So I downloaded them all onto a spreadsheet and I said, out of these people, how many do I actually know? And I went from 9,000 down to around 300. And then rather, rather bluntly, I said, okay, of the 300 know, uh, I know, how many do I actually like? Uh, and that brought it down to about 200. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a likeable guy. Uh, because you want to work with people you like. That's when you do your best work. People yeah. uh, that encourage you. And when you work with someone who you don't like, you're still professional. You still do a decent job. But it's not your best work. And you want people to be talking about your best work. So then I took the, the list of 200 and said, okay, these are people I know and these are people I like. How many of them are in my target market? And that very quickly shrunk it down to close to my, my network of 80. Uh, so you can look at your 1,000-person, 9,000-person, 100,000-person connections on, on LinkedIn. But when you narrow it down, you, there will be around about 80 or 90 people who you you know, you like, and would love to work with them, and that's where you build the relationships with. Got you. Got you. Okay, so that's that's my first action straight after this uh, after after this chat, if I'm honest. That's what I, that's what I definitely need to do. Um, so... Yeah. You, right at the start of the conversation, you said you um, you help coaches and consultants with with all this, and then um, unfortunately, due to COVID and people not allowed out of their houses, um, that you're not doing that you're not delivering it in the same way that you were delivering it. So, yeah, how how are you now finding people to work with, and how are you delivering that work? So, how I find people to work with hasn't changed really. So there's building the trust and credibility through the ways we've talked about. Yeah. Um, then if we decide we'd like to work together, I send people uh, a questionnaire. And I get them to fill it in, and then we have a discussion based on that questionnaire because it's really important that, uh, especially in a coaching uh, role, that we get on with each other, that we can work well with each other. And I also try to establish, will this person actually do the work which needs to be done? of the, the, the coaching. Uh, I now do it through the old uh, video conference, which I'm pretty sure everyone's doing these days. Yeah. Uh, the, the current one, which most people seem to be turning to, is uh, an intensive coaching session. Where it's uh, over six weeks, and we do half a day per week, same day per week. Uh, we do a bit of coaching. I give them a number of assignments. They go in. Uh, complete the assignments. We meet next week, we go through the assignments and I'll coach them on what could be improved. And then we talk about a, a different subject. 
And I found that six weeks to be working at the right tempo. So I give them enough work to be keeping themselves busy between now and the following week. And it makes a good enough amount of progress where they're motivated to carry on and doing it. So within the space of five weeks, they're at a point where they know exactly what they need to have in place and have it all in place. They've built a trust-building sales cycle. They've priced their service at a sweet point where the customer or the client's happy with it and they're getting a decent amount of profit. And they've got a self-promotion strategy which uh, will bring the clients in. And that, that's where you need to get within five weeks. And then the, the last week's planning out to say, okay, how are we going to make all this work? Uh, and it's working really well, actually. Brilliant. Brilliant. So is that one-to-one coaching or is that group coaching? So currently it's, it's one-to-one because it's quite an intensive uh, form of coaching. Uh, and I've, I've recently had a couple of consultancies come to me and say, right, can we make this a, a group coaching environment? Uh, and what I've said to them is yes, but I would like to limit it to two or three people. Uh, but what I'll do, I'll give everyone else the access to the learning application so they can understand what's happening and follow and contribute to the process. Yeah. But by having two or three people, I can keep that momentum, keep that uh, intenseness of it, uh, and then they know what to go and do back at the back at the, the firm and tell everyone else what they're doing, and everyone else can work along within the learning app. Uh, so that's the route I'm going for the, cons- uh, the, the consulting firms. Got you, got you. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And one thing that... So I've read um, a large chunk of your book now, actually, and one thing that intrigued me is the the back two um, chapters, the last yeah. two, two chapters for it. And because you, you, you talk about your... Um, well, in fact, the, the next to last chapter, you talk about your, your routines um, yeah. and and how they've played a part in, in your success. So something... I. I'm a big fan of um, of the power of the mind and stuff, and you've got a David Goggins um, quote in there as well of what he, yeah. he said, um, and and the the um, overcoming those limiting beliefs that, that you've got. Did you know that before you went into sales, or was that just a, was it a revelation in sales? It was uh, more of a gradual process, I think. So one thing that as, as much as I, and no one likes to admit it, uh, within sales, in fact, most things in life, be it your job or be it actually getting, uh, finding a mate, is that looks matter. And I know that's very on PC, but looks do matter when you're selling, especially. So it doesn't mean that you need to be some kind of model, like male model or, or catwalk model. A bit, what you basically need to do is make the best of what you've got. Uh, so you need to uh, make sure that you're mentally and physically in the best shape because with that, it, it brings confidence. Uh, and people, when they hire a coach or a consultant, want to hire confident experts. They don't want someone who uh, has got that dryness because that's not what they're hiring. They want someone to guide them and give them advice. So you need to be in a, in your top form. And if, you, if you're not feeling that way, if you're feeling jaded or you turn up and you've got bags under your eyes and you're unshaven and you're wearing something cheap, then they won't see you as that credible expert. Got you. Got you. So... In fact, um, a question on that then, Peter, around the, um, the, 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 the attire, the clothes that you wear. Um, I remember when I was um, a internal consultant in a public sector organization being called into um, an office by a consultant that was yeah. uh, being called into an office by a consultant that was supporting me, um, and he said, and he said to me, so this is this is ten years ago now, but I can remember the conversation, and he said, um, he said, Lee, you've got great promise, he said, um, but look at your shoes, look at uh, you wearing a jumper, uh, you're never going to be a consultant dressing the way you dress, and so hmm. do you think? Do you think what people wear affects the, is it, well, either ability to sell 
or I guess two questions then is is the the attire that people are wearing the clothes that people are wearing does that affect their ability to sell um, more than it affects their ability to deliver the actual job and is that a factor that people need to consider um, y- yes I know so you often find uh, that the higher up you go in some organisation the more scruffy they become and it's, it's the ones who are frontline who, who want to get promoted dressed the smartest so internally with organisation it might not matter as much but as a, as a consultant or coach you I would say you do need to have a certain uh, presence. Now, what, what's important is that there's something which I was taught a long time ago about dress code plus one. And so you take your client's dress code and you dress just a little bit smarter than what they do. So you don't want to turn up in a $1,000 suit if everyone's wearing um, polo shorts. So if people are wearing polo shorts, you turn up with a... a cotton shirt with button-down collar. If your clients are wearing cotton shorts, you turn up in a, a, a nice shirt with a, a shirt and tie. If yeah. they're wearing shirt and tie, you, you wear suits. So you're always just slightly more smart than what they are. So you don't want to have a big gap, and you, you certainly don't want to be under what, how they dress. So that's the way I look at it. It's a little bit smarter. All right, okay. Okay, fair enough. Because I, I can see how that would... Because um, I've been a, been somebody who's that's, that's gone, I'm not going to wear a tie. Um, I'm not going to be a typic, typical consultant. Um, and I, I was just intrigued to see whether that would have a detrimental effect on the sales process or delivery process. I can, I can see how it could impact the, the sale, first impressions. Um, yes. So, so, yeah, so I guess... How how much in your experience does the first impressions affect the sales process? A lot. A lot. Well, if you've built your trust and credibility up front, not as much as what you may do if, if you're meeting the person cold for the first time. Yeah. But first impressions do last. So you do want to be dressed in the right manner. So you, you don't want to be too smart, so you alienate the person. That's the dress code plus one. Yeah. But you do need to be approachable. You need to smile. Even for a doer Scotsman like me, you need <laughs> to smile. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> so I smile for the meeting and then I walk out and be grumpy again. But you need to smile. You need to be confident. You need to be open. But most importantly, you need to be able to listen to them and show interest in them because that's you're there to help them you listen you're there to understand them yeah so you don't want to be the, the big um the big i am and list off all the things you've done uh, and all the people you've helped you want to be able to sit there and say how are things what's the what's the situation what you're working on nice open questions and then go from there yeah, I guess it's like it's just like building any relationship, isn't it? So if you were if you if you met somebody in a pub for a first time uh, as a potential friend, you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't stick your chest out and 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 then just recall all of the times that you've been amazing. You would want to it'd be two way communication and, and build that rapport. Um, yeah, really really yeah, just good. Just on that point, actually coming back to LinkedIn, so my little bugbear at the moment. Uh, so the exact same is relevant for LinkedIn. So I'm sure it's happened to you where you connect with someone yeah. and then you get a, a big long message back, basically punting their services. And you think, this is nuts. I don't even know this person. And they, they want to sell me a mortgage or some whatever it is, some new computer software. And I think, I don't, don't know them. Yeah. Now, imagine that was to happen in real life where, as you say, you shake someone's hand and say, hi, I'm Peter. And you say, hi, I'm Lee, do you want to buy my services? It would just be nuts. So yes. wh- why would you want to do it on LinkedIn? Yeah, completely. Completely agree. Completely. Whilst we're just um, talking about LinkedIn briefly, um, I've, I've now got this thing in my head that I've got a little bit of a dilemma. So it's a personal question, this one, Peter. You're right with a personal <laughs> question. It's a personal for me. Um, is every single okay. ch- every single Tuesday? So I've got, a, as you know, I've got a consulting business. Work with clients and businesses of different sizes to help um, improve, yeah. improving them do what they do. Um, and every Tuesday, I get in the bath and I record a video of myself in the bath for about one to two minutes and then post it on LinkedIn. Yeah. Is that a good idea yeah. or not a good idea? 
uh, I would say uh, with that kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for that kind of presentation there is no such thing as a good idea or a bad idea okay. because I mean I wrote the book called Yourself Sales yeah. so what you want to is be yourself so if you're comfortable being in the bath and you think this is what represents you, then do it. If you're not a person who feels comfortable in the bath, then don't do it. Because people will buy your services and they want to hire you, not, not someone else. Yeah. So they need to know who he is, what they're all about, what's their the mannerisms and how do they work with someone. And if you feel, right, okay, my, my coaching or consultancy work is a more relaxed style uh, and it's more conversational, then the bath is a great thing. Uh, and you attract the right clients for you by being yourself. But if you try to be someone else, you'll, you'll attract all the wrong clients that, that will stop you doing good work. Yes, I love that. I love that because I've had a number of conversations with, with consultants and, and one of them said, when I, when I came up with the idea of I'm going to, um, I'm going to sit in the bath and just have a chat because I want to try to differentiate myself and market and do things a little bit different and try to just get across my personality as much as I can. Not that I'm any funny. Yeah. In the, I'm not. As, I'm, I'm the same person in the bath as out of the bath. But anyway, um, some, some one person said to me, he said, "Oh, you'll never, you'll never get a client in financial services sector recording yourself in the bath." And yeah, and, and so I don't know if it is it is it sec, is it the um, is it the stereotypes or is it the what 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 prevents people from being themselves and trying to be like everybody else? why why does everybody try to be like everybody else uh, it's probably because they've been drummed into them and uh, i think generally it's a lack of confidence so people yeah. buy people when it comes to consulting and coaching so they need to know who you are more importantly, why do you do what you do? And how do you work with people? Because yeah. that's that's what they get when they work with someone. That, so value stream mapping, for example, it's a tool or technique. But there's lots, there's thousands, there's millions of people that can do value stream mapping. It's the person who uses it and how they interact with the client. And if you can show yourself in, in your true light, so you're not watering yourself down, then the clients you get will be the right ones for you. Um, and you find that the people who try to uh, conform to, to what they think it should be like, they'll get, they'll get clients, but it'll be hard work for them. It'll be a grind. All, the, all, their, cons, uh, all their assignments will be grinds, and they'll be wondering why they get all the bad assignments, and it's because they did them to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it makes a lot makes a lot of sense. I, I love, I love the concept. Be yourself, sales. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so what what I wanted to do is that um, with consultants, especially and coaches, somewhat they like a framework. They like a process to follow. Uh, but I didn't want to say do this, then this, then this. So I wanted to create a, a framework of things which they should do and must do but have enough space to fill it with their own personality yeah so i will say uh, for example you need to do monthly content marketing but what they're writing that's up to them but it needs to be that kind of, of beat and it might it might be that should be taken and what point in it so there's a framework you need to follow but how you fill it with your own skills your own techniques your own personality, then that that's really the, the be yourself part. Yeah. Where were you when you decided on the idea and concept for be yourself? So it's interesting that so it didn't come from anywhere. So I've got a writing coach, uh, and she's fantastic, and she helped me through the writing process. And she said, "Well, look, either you start with a name, and you everything you write will come from that." or you'll start to write and the name will make itself obvious. Uh, and I, I, was, I was the latter, so I sat down, wrote my 10 by 10 metric, started to write it, uh, and then 
from that, the name came out from it. So I was really trying to summarise everything I'd written. So it was the other way around. So I didn't, I didn't have the name. I just started writing, and from that came the Be Yourself sales. All right, okay. Interesting. So why, why Be Yourself? So why is that? Why is that important? To, why is that important to you? Because, and in fact, right. So, and the reason why I say that is because, and when I saw the the title of the book, and when you posted on LinkedIn for the first time, I, I loved the concept. And I, and the reason why I asked the question is, eighteen months ago, I lost my best mate, and he left with yeah. me three most important life lessons to him. And his first life yeah. lesson that he shared with me was always be yourself. So, yeah. What what that why why is that why was that important to you for this book? Uh, I guess because I, I went through quite a, a number of painful experiences in terms of trying to sell consulting when I was a, a junior consultant and a senior consultant, and there was one firm which I worked for, which was a very middle England, very posh uh, consultancy, quite a boutique consultancy. So. I spent a lot of time in central London talking to some very important people. And I became very conscious of, of my accent and who I was and how I dressed. And I, I started to try to become someone else to try and fit in. And it was horrible. I mean, I, I, I almost went to elocution lessons to speak more English. Wow. Uh, and, I, 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 and I was doing all kinds of stuff to try and make myself better looking and fitter and more confident and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, this just isn't me. And the minute I started to relax and be myself, that's when people wanted to work with me. Yeah. Uh, and then I, from that, I found actually the type of people who I like working with are the same people that like working with me because they want someone, they want, they want to work with someone who is like them. And that's why there is no, there is no, you may have heard this, um, I think it's one of Aesop's fables, but there's a, an old man and a, a young boy walking down the street with a donkey. And he, the old man's on top of the donkey, he's riding it, and the young boy's walking beside him. And a couple walking in the opposite direction said, hey, look at that, isn't that terrible? That old man's making the young boy walk. Oh, yeah, you're right. So they think, and they say, okay. So the young boy gets on the donkey, and the old man starts to walk further down the street. Uh, and then another couple come up and say, isn't that terrible? Look, that young boy's making the old man walk. How, how terrible is that? Oh, right, okay. So they both got off, and both are walking down the street uh, the don holding the donkey. And another couple come up, and they say, how stupid are they? Look, they got a perfectly good donkey, uh, and they're walking... Uh, and they're walking by themselves. Yeah. Oh, right. So they both go on the donkey, and they're going, going down the street, another couple, and they say, isn't that terrible? Like, both of them are on that poor donkey, uh, and uh, they're going to try and break his back. Right, okay. So they both got off again, and they put the donkey on their shoulders, and they're carrying the donkey. Okay. Uh, and then they're walking over a bridge. They slip. Donkey falls over into the river and dies. And the moral of the story is, if you try to please everyone all the time, you can kiss your ass goodbye. Very good. Very uh, and good. and that's, that's the key thing with, with um, finding your clients. You can't please everyone all the time. So when a client says no, they're not saying no to you. What they're saying is you're not the right fit. Yeah. And you're perfectly within your rights to turn clients away to and say uh, you're a great person uh, but I don't what's their traits and personalities because that's the things uh, which will allow them to do the best work but also as well that's the things that will help them attract these people yeah yeah Perfect. Love that. I love that. I love that. So, if um, somebody is listening to this podcast and they want to know more about Peter Brody, where's the best place that they can find him? And where, where's your book at um, as well? And just give us the, the title of that book again. Yeah. So, uh, the best way to contact me is just find me on LinkedIn. So, Peter Brody, and you'll find me there. And if you, you can buy the book at Amazon. 
amazon.com or amazon.uk.uk, anywhere on Amazon. Uh, and you just go to the book section, type in Be Yourself Sales, and you'll find it. Uh, excellent, excellent value. Uh, $9.99 for the electronic Very good. Very good. And... Um one more, one more question, Peter. As well, um, what does the sales coach for consultants and coaches have for his tea? Have for my tea? Yeah. Uh, well, I've I've recently turned vegan. Yeah. Have you? So, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going down the whole Buddhist route. That's another story for another day. <laughs> but uh, lots of salad, lots of beans. Uh, yeah, lots of raw stuff. I've spoken to about um, 20 people on this podcast, possibly more than 20, yeah. but about a quarter of them have, have turned vegan in the last two years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I did this very stupid thing of going on to YouTube and I typed in Abattoir. Yeah. I, I, I watched it and I thought, I don't want to be part of that. It's just, it's just not me. So, um, yeah, so I'm vegan. Uh, another thing I've done, which I, got, I know we're going to the personal stuff, but uh, uh, I I only eat in the evenings now, so there's intermittent fasting, and it works fantastically for me. So I only have an evening meal, and I eat between 8 and 10 o'clock, and that works wonders for me. Oh, wow. So when you say it works wonders for you, what, what works wonders for you? What does it do? What's the difference? Uh, I find a lot more energy. Uh, I feel a lot lighter. Uh, that means I exercise fasted, so it burns up all the fat rather than carbs. Um, and uh, it means I can just relax around food. I don't have to worry about what I'm eating, whether it's uh, chips or sweets or whatever, uh, because I know that eating within that short window means I'll never eat too much. And it just makes me not think about food and just relax. And is that at 8, 10 at night when you eat, or 8 and 10 in the morning? Uh, at night. So I'll drink lots of coffee during the day, then switch to tea. Yeah. I'll hit the gym around 6, and then after I hit the gym, I'll eat whatever the hell I like. Whatever the hell I like. Wow, wow, amazing. So, in fact, so the... Um, the the last, last uh, we touched on the last few chapters of your book a couple of times, and because one of those was about encouraging or getting up earlier, starting your day, um, and so you've got. Could you just talk me through what is a typical day for Peter Broder? Well, it's changed since we got this uh, this COVID lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but typical day uh, before lockdown, I had the children next to me and everything, so I'd be up around six o'clock walk the dog for an hour or two, uh, come back, work. Then I would um, make dinner for the kids around five at the gym and then have my evening meal. So I typically work between 10 o'clock and five o'clock. I, I, don't, I don't do the long hours anymore. Wow, amazing, amazing, really good. Really good. So, because what, what I really like about um, about what you've got, you've got you've got your habits nailed, and you, you kind of oh, I don't know whether they're nailed, and I don't know whether the this happens every single day, but you seem to have clarity on what really works for you. How did you get to well, that state? Well, actually, so I, I sat down with a diary and tried to figure it out, and then I set alarm clocks on my phone to nudge me every time. I don't need them now because I just I just know. Uh, and that that just seems to work and also as well when i'm working i'll have time slots as well i've read a few books on productivity yeah and there's this thing where you really you create slots where you focus on a specific subject or or topic uh, and then that allows you to create a, a level of flow so you're really focused on it and you're not being distracted and trying to multitask and i think that that works fantastically well too so Again, when I start working, I do my half hour of marketing, uh, and that's all I do, half an hour of marketing per day. And then I'll go on to creating maybe some materials, working with clients, but I'll I'll book slots. So working with clients is between uh, 12 and 5. Sometimes I'll do even one if 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 it's really important for a client. And I'll work on slots like that, and I find that that level of focus and having that level of time makes me far more productive. Brilliant. No, that's really good. Really good. I'm, so, because that's something that what I found is 
um, during the last seven or eight weeks whilst we've been in this state that uh, that my routine has gone completely out of the window and the times that I were productive before are not productive now so I need to try to get more structure back into back into my life I guess so one more one more question I've got for you um, in in your book you've mentioned uh, the use of empowering words how, yes. how and why is that powerful uh, it came from uh, Tony Robbins' book. I've forgotten the name of it. So it's straight from there, and I'm, I'm sure I reference it in the book. Um, but basically, what he says, and I found works, is that the, the words you use and think affects your moods, and your moods will affect what you do. Yeah. So if you use uh, negative words, you'll bring yourself down. But if you make them slightly less negative, so if you replace the words with something softer, it won't bring you down as much. So, for example, if you lose a client and you say, oh, this is terrible, this is the worst thing ever, I'm devastated, you will be devastated. But if you say to yourself, oh, that's not so good, uh, never mind, we'll pick up another one, then you ain't going to be as hurt or, or angry or have that much stress. Yeah. And the same goes for positive words. So uh, me being from Glasgow, I don't I don't really use positive <laughs> words that much. But even when I did, it would be, that's all right or fine. Yeah. But if you change that all right to fantastic or even the Americans when they say awesome or something like that, you, you bring yourself up. So just changing the words you use can genuinely affect how you feel and, and what you do. Yeah, perfect. No, I love that. I love that. Well, I just want to say thank you for an awesome conversation this afternoon, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, to, to chat with you. So just one, one more time. So you want people to go to LinkedIn and are you the only Peter Brody on LinkedIn? Uh, I'm only one that counts. So, <laughs> if you find, so if you find Peter Brody and then you'll soon see, you'll, you'll see the Be Yourself, uh, Be Yourself sales logo. So there won't be that many. Ah, oh, perfect, perfect. And then Be Yourself Sales, available from, from Amazon um, yep. as well. Fantastic. Yep, fantastic. No, thanks, for, thanks very much for your time, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you, and I hope to get the opportunity to, uh, to learn from you some more in the future. Oh, yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it too, so thanks for that. Cheers, Peter. Cheers then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.